our broken pieces are an important part of our journey of growing in Christlikeness. A glorious pursuit of experiencing long-term change that only comes from following Jesus. It is an ancient journey of practicing the Christian virtues and living the truly abundant life as God defines it. A life made possible by God's grace, empowered by God's Spirit, and modeled by God's Son. This is the beauty of becoming. He was a mover and a shaker in the automobile industry. He had fought tooth and nail to get to the top of the Ford Motor Company, but there was a problem, and it was the owner's son, Henry Ford Jr. In fact, Henry Ford Jr. and this man, Lee Iacocca, did not get along, and they consistently fought and fought and fought some more. Uh, finally, Henry Ford Jr. gave him the pink slip and said, you're fired, and for Lee Iacocca, it was a gut punch. He had an interview shortly after that, and they said, why did you stay so long at the Ford company? In spite of all these things that were going on, why did you stick around? And he said, I suffered from a sin that, that summed up in one word, greed. You see, the greed in his heart had taken over the character of the man. In the interview, he would quote his father, his Italian-born father, with these words. He said, my father always said, be careful about money. When you have 5,000, you'll want 10. When you have 10, you'll want 20. And he was right, no matter what you have, it's never enough. Have you ever considered that a desire for wealth will blind you to what's truly important in life in a soul-destroying way? That money, its absence or its presence, has a tendency to seduce our hearts and take us down an ugly road? Well, such is what we're going to talk about today. If you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Generosity is the cure for a greedy heart. Generosity is the cure for a greedy heart. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we step into yet another week of this series called The Beauty of Becoming. It's in this series, and we're looking at several of the different virtues of Jesus. Now, last week, I preached on the virtue of surrender, and I said we're getting a baseline on surrender, and then what we're going to do this week is apply that to, to generosity, specifically financial generosity. I'm going to be telling my story a little bit today and my, my uh, struggles with greed and things of that nature as we look at two passages of Scripture. The first one is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The second one is in Luke chapter 12. So turn to 1 Timothy 6. Uh, let me set the scene for what's happening. If we go back to 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the Apostle Paul has been doing amazing ministry. And he writes three letters to two pastors to Timothy and Titus. And in 1 Timothy, actually in all of those letters, he's telling those pastors, beware of false teachers. And then with Timothy specifically, he says you got to be very careful of these preachers who are just out for your money, who are doing it for the money. And he warned him against, as a pastor uh, against covetousness and greed, but also against pride. So with that, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6. Uh, we're going to kick it off with verses 6 through 8. Uh, but a, a couple things. I always want to share the theologians I lean into when I put my sermons together because it's not all my thoughts. Uh, I went back to the 1700s with Matthew Henry and Jonathan Edwards, two amazing theologians, long dead, 
So how about the live ones? Uh, my, my favorites are Chuck Swindoll, uh, Timothy Keller, and then Pastor Bob Marvel. Uh, Bob helped me craft a lot of this sermon today because I will be talking about tithing and offering, and he had a lot of great insight. So let's look at this. First Timothy chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. And remember our main thought, generosity is the cure for a greedy heart. Paul writes, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So Paul comes right out of the gate and says that wealth can cause discontent in our life. And with, with that, we need to understand this truth, this truth that generosity breeds contentment. Generosity breeds contentment, and because of that truth, we have to understand, too, that greed can breed a lot of discontent. And that's what happened to me. I just want to share some of my story with you today. Some of you have heard this before, so bear with me for those of you who have heard this before. I was born in a small farm town in Missouri. My parents were blue-collar parents. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. I had a great childhood. But when I was a kid growing up, I decided I was never going to be poor. So when I was 13, I started my own lawn mowing business, need a clip, just call Kip. And I had about 20 yards. And so I made a lot of bank all the way through high school, graduated high school uh, and joined the army right out of high school. And I spent 28 years in the army and God blessed me in the army. He blessed me over and over and I wouldn't recognize that. He blessed me with time, treasure and talent. I would retire from the army in 2009 at the rank of colonel. That's one rank below brigadier general. And God would call Linda and I into ministry. But here's the thing, that was 2009 we retired. Go back to 2007. We were on yet another assignment to South Korea. Things were going very well over there. It was 2007, and our country was in a two-front war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Also, the economy was getting ready to have a big crash. So I had been pouring money into this growth strategy fund. It was a long-term strategy fund, just pouring money into it. And as I poured money into it, I was just watching money go out the backside. So I called up my financial advisor and I said, hey, here's the thing. I got all this money going into this, this fund. I, I want to pull the money out and buy a house. He said, that's the stupidest thing you can do. This is a long-term fund. Just ride the storm out. You're going to be fine. So what did we do? We took money out and we bought a house. We, we flew... <laughs> We flew from Seoul, South Korea home on vacation in the summer of 2007. There were like four houses on the market. We bought one of them that was on the market. We were all happy. We went back to Seoul, South Korea for the rest of that assignment. And sure enough, like three weeks later, the housing market crashes. We were upside down in our house for several years. Okay, fast forward now to 2008. We're still in South Korea. The interest rates come down. We're excited about that. So Linda wisely, she's the minister of finance in our house, and she says, "Hun, we need to look at, at refinancing. Okay, let's do this. So we got a great interest rate for that time, and we decided with that great interest rate that we were going to pay off our 30-year mortgage in 15 years. Now remember, we refinanced from Seoul, South Korea in 2008. The internet wasn't as savvy back then as it is now, so refinancing was very, very difficult. I was signing things right and left. I had no clue what I was signing. That's on me. But it was, let me say, it was, it was a, a paperwork nightmare. Right, fast forward one more year. We retire, we get out of the military, we fly back home, and what do you do if you've been living overseas for so many years? You immediately take the family and, and go pay homage to the goddess of gluttony at Denny's. And so we chowed down like big dogs at Denny's, and then we went to Costco, we got our Costco cards, and then, of course, we needed cell phones. So we went and bought our cell phones. 
A handful of hours later, my phone started ringing off the proverbial hook. And the conversation went like this. Hey, this is Kip. Yeah, Kip, this is so-and-so. I'm a creditor. I represent Spawn of Satan Bank. I, I won't tell you what the bank was, uh, but Spawn of Satan Bank, and, and we're going to foreclose on your house. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I, we're making multiple payments. We're months ahead on our mortgage. He said, well, I don't know if you remember that when you signed all that paperwork, you had a line of credit that you haven't even touched. And I said, how much is a line of credit? And it was just a few thousand dollars. So I verified everything with Spawn of Satan Bank. And sure enough, they were going to uh, foreclose on our house. So I said, what do I got to do? Well, write a check for the, the, the line of credit and you're good. So I did. And I thought everything would be fine. But here's what happened. For many, many years, my lovely bride and I, we've been married 33 years. We had worked hard to get our credit score to an 850. And we had an 850 credit score. But when all of this happened... That 850 credit score jumped way below, like near 400. And when that happened, I was devastated. I was a self-made man, so I thought. I had a lot of pride in my stuff. And remember last week when I was talking about when you have an idol in your heart, something seduces your heart and it implodes, and you get that stress, you get that anxiety, you get that depression. That was me. I was a hot mess. And the problem was I was getting my contentment from my bank account and my reputation. Linda convicted me that, that, that we, I specifically, needed to give more and covet less, that I needed to practice this act of surrender, and if I would practice this act of surrender, I'd get contentment. So what I want to do, let's go back into the story, but 1 Timothy 6, we're going to press pause on that, we're going to come back in a second, and what I want to do is look at Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, three verses that are really the, the, the verses about contentment. We've preached on this one a few times, so go with me on this. Here we go. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. Underline that. That's so important. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. So here's what Paul's saying. He's looking back on his life, and he's saying, as I look in my past, everything that's happened to me, the highs, the lows, the wins and losses of life, I've seen God show up. I've seen Christ give me strength to get me through those times, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So as I look ahead at what's coming down the pike at me now, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, I can trust God no matter what. I can have contentment because he is there with me. So we see that contentment is a learned habit of remaining in Jesus. So what that means is when we're well-fed, we can be content right. as we remain in Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When we're strong, when we're healthy, we can be content as we remain in Jesus. But also when we're in those times of need, the times when the bottom drops out, we can still be content because we can remain in Jesus. But those times of greed, that's the time, that's the time when it's easy to be discontent. And that's what happened to me. So 
2009, we retired. We moved down to Bend, Oregon. Uh, we, I was a youth pastor in a church down there for one year. And it, it, it was a great church. Senior pastor was a great guy, but it just wasn't a fit. So that at the end of that one year, we moved from Bend, Oregon back up here to Ferndale where we owned that house. Well, the bank owned the house. We paid the mortgage. And so we moved back up here, and I thought I would be able to get a job like that. You can't swing a dead cat in Whatcom County without hitting a church, right? And so we come up here, and I was actually candidating in a very small church, uh, a local church here, to be the associate pastor. And uh, they had some issues within the church, and at the end of the day, they said, listen, we can't, uh, we thought we could bring you on full time, but right now we simply can't. So what, that would, ha what would happen then is it would start a 20-month journey of God working on my heart as I couldn't get a job in ministry. I had left the military, a very lucrative and successful career for the ministry, and I'm going, God, what's up? Did I read this wrong? We would end up selling so much stuff. We had luxury items that we thought were necessities, and God's like, nope, you got to get rid of them. We'd tap into a rainy day savings account, and it still wasn't enough. And Linda reminded me of this truth during that time. And it was true contentment comes from generosity in the heart, not wealth in the hand. True contentment comes from generosity in the heart, not wealth in the hand. You see, I was getting my identity out of my bank account. I was getting my self-worth out of my title as a pastor. I was getting my assurance and peace out of money. And God called me on it. So, as I said, we sold a car, sold a bunch of toys, and we still were hitting the wall. I had my military pension, but that would only pay bills up to about a third, maybe a half of the month. And that's when Linda said these words to me that caused me to go, you've got to be kidding me. She said, honey, um, you know, we're not tithing right now. And so I did the infamous, well, listen, babe, we're not, we're not under the, the law, we're under grace. So I give my time and I give my talent and, and, you know, I volunteer all these places. We don't need to tithe. She said, I really think you slept through that class when you were getting your Master of Divinity. I think you need to go back and search the scriptures. And what I found out was for sure exactly she was right. There was a part of me that hasn't, hadn't released. More on that in a few minutes. At the end of the day, I realized it always comes back to Jesus. It does. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I had a hot mess issue in my heart, and it was greed. And so it's funny how Jesus talks a lot about money in Scripture. He really does. If you look at his 39 parables, 11 of the 39 deal with money. If you take the gospel accounts, all four gospels, the totality of words, about a fourth of the gospel accounts deal with this thing called money. If you look at the, the book of Luke that we're going to jump into in just a second, six of the 24 chapters in the book of Luke deal in some way, shape, or form with money. And the reason why is because Jesus wanted to remind us that the love of money can cause a poisonous discontent in our life. So Paul says to be content, Christ has to be the center of all things. And what I found, uh, the center of all things, really, I, it, greed and money had a grip on my heart. And would I let Jesus in? More on that in a second. Let's go back now to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into, into temptation and a snare. Circle that word. We get to Greek out and geek out on that word. It's important. And, money, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the love of money, 
Not money, but the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul's telling us here, money's not the issue. It's the love of money that's the issue. Being rich is not a sin. There's so many things we can do with money to alleviate suffering in our own lives as well as lives around the world. That's not the issue. The issue is that when you love money like I did, it becomes a snare. So let's Greek out and geek out on that. It's a cool word. The, the, the Greek word there is pagis. And what pagis is this contraption, and it would be like this noose, and they'd put it on the ground and put a bunch of bait in it, and it would have this rope at attached to it, and they'd hide off in the woods, and they would slowly but surely pull on it when an animal would get in, and then they'd yank it hard. Or the animal would get in there, and they'd just yank it. And isn't that what happens to us when we have a love of money? For me, it was that slow grab, you know, slowly but surely, and then bam, it had me. But for some of you, you'll go through financial distress, and all of a sudden, it has you like that. No matter what, no matter what, it can cause great discontent when you love it. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Timothy Keller said this. He said, money can do two things to you if you love it. First of all, it blinds you to who you are because you say, look what I did. Look at my efforts. That was me. Secondly, it blinds you to how much you actually have, to where those luxury items you have, you think are necessity items. And like Lee Iacocca's dad said, 5,000, no, it's not enough. I need 10. No, 10's not enough. I need 20. Money's absence or presence can blind you to what's truly important in life. But what's so cool is Paul gives us a remedy. Look at verses 11 and 12. He's going to give us four things. We've got to go old school on this. You're going to have to write these down because these are so good. Four things to help us fight it when, when money seduces our heart. He says, first of all, flee. Flee. That's the first thing. Flee from these things, you man of God. Number two, pursue. Pursue. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Number three, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. And then number four, take hold. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what he says, when money starts seducing your, your heart, it's like any temptation, run away, flee from it. And then he said, what you need to do is you need to pursue the virtues of Jesus. That's what I love about this series, because as we pursue those virtues, our hearts are transformed as we reflect him. Then thirdly, he says, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Last week, go back to last week's sermon, and we talked about how to, to take an idol in your life and, and destroy it. So you apply those things to that section. And then number four, focus on the eternal, not the temporal. The junk that's going on around you, yeah, you, you're going to have to deal with it, but at the end of the day, you can do all things through Christ, so you focus on the eternal. What can happen, though, is as we're focusing on the temporal, we can get a lot of worry about that, and that's natural, and that's what happened to me. So what I want to do now is I want to push this, this 1 Timothy 6 passage over on the side, and I want us to turn to Luke chapter 12. Because in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is going to talk specifically about worry and finances. We're going to be in Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. So turn to Luke chapter 12, and here's what's going on. Jesus has just thrown down with the Pharisees, and he gives all these woes to the Pharisees. He talks about hypocrisy and the need to have our actions and our words count. 
And then he tells a story of a rich fool. And the rich fool is somebody who focused on the temporal, not the eternal. And he's like, okay, I got all this stuff. This is amazing. I need more stuff. But to get more stuff, I, I need a place to store the stuff. So I'm going to get more, or more storage for my stuff. And God stops him and says, hey, man, guess what? Um, get your affairs in order because tomorrow, yeah, you're going to die. And then from there, Jesus talks about worry. Do not divorce this passage from finances. Too often we do. So let's look at this. Verses 22 and 23, Luke chapter 12. Remember, generosity is the cure for a greedy heart. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry. Circle that. Oh, it's a fun one to Greek out and geek out on. Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So he's saying, no, focus on the eternal. He would say, focus on me. Don't focus on the stuff. I control all things. I hold all things together. Just trust in me. But yet we worry. So let's look at this word. It's a real important word. It's the exact same word that Paul uses in Philippians 4 when he says, be anxious for nothing. Anxious and worry, same word in Greek. It's actually two words that come together. So for the three of you who care, go with me on this. Two words, metamneos, metamneos, or the, the verb is metamnao. Merim means divided. Neos means mind. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? When you worry, isn't that what's hap what happens? You have a divided mind. No matter what it is, if it's finances, health, it doesn't matter. When you worry, your mind gets divided. You go from focusing on the, the, the eternal to, why. oh my gosh, look at this. Look at this hot mess right here. I got to deal with it. And when our mind gets divided, we tend to walk away from Jesus. He says, no, stay focused on me. Let's keep on going. He says, we got to do a reality check because life is more than what we eat and what we wear. Verses 24 and 25. Now, what Jesus does, he goes from the lesser to the greater a lot of times when he talks. He's going to do that here. He says, consider the ravens, the lesser, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. So now he's going to the greater. And which of you, by worrying, by having that divided mind, can add a single hour to his lifespan? He says, focus on me, not on your stuff or lack thereof. You have to have that divided mind comes together when you focus on Jesus. And that's so true. Three Christian characteristics, faith, hope, and love. And what I had to do is look in the mirror. Where do I put my faith? In my own efforts or in God? Where do I have my hope? In my own efforts, in my own bank account, or do I have my hope in Jesus? And then, of course, where's my love? Money had seduced my heart for many years. And it had that grip. But here's the thing that we have to realize about money and possessions. Money and possessions overpower and they underdeliver. They overpower. They can take over our lives to where those luxuries become necessities. And they underdeliver because we can get our worth from those things. We can get our identity from those things. And when that happens, it's gotcha. Our worry can make us greedy. Let's keep on going, verses 26 through 28. Jesus continues, again, from the lesser to the greater. If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry? Why do you have a divided mind about other matters? Consider the lilies, little things, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. 
Now he's going to go to the greater. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Okay, when, whenever you see that you of little faith, Jesus is not shaming. Jesus is not in the shaming business. He's in the healing business and the restoration business. He's saying, listen to me, I need you to focus on the eternal because this is going to happen throughout your life. You're going to have a lot of financial issues in your life, period. It's just going to happen. But don't worry. And it's not, don't worry, be happy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, stay focused on me. Jesus would say that you can't serve both God and money. And he said that, and, and with that, we got to go back to that thought from last week, that money is a great servant, but a terrible master. Money is a great servant. We can do so many things with money to help others. It's not bad to have money. That's not the issue. The issue is the seduction of the heart. And when you're anxious about it all the time, when you're worrying about it all the time, it's gotcha. Let's keep on going. Verses 29 and 30. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. Do not have that divided mind. You see, it just keeps coming up more and more. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdoms, and these things will be added to you. Jesus says, we got to be different as Christ followers. You know, everybody else in this world, it's about fame, it's about fortune, it's about power. But as we looked at when we looked at surrender, if you truly want power, you need to surrender and go and serve. Power comes from going to the back of the line, not the front of the line. If you truly want to be rich, you have to open your hands and be generous and help others. You surrender. And if you truly want a fulfilled life, you deny yourself. You pick up your cross and you follow Jesus. So he gives us a remedy in verses 34 and 35. Look at this. But seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Now look at this. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. He says focus on the eternal, not the temporal. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 31 through 34. It just lays it out. It, Jesus was always talking about money because he saw the danger of money. How it, like me, can be a trap. That's what it was for me. But he also understood how it can do so many great things in the kingdom. So this was back in 2010. Linda and I had been married uh, just over 20 years. And, and at that time, she was saying, honey, we need to do this. We need to tithe. And so the question was, would I say yes or no? And what I found out through a lot of prayer when she and I were searching in prayer was that it was a true moment of faith really for me. She was all in. I wasn't. And the true moment of faith was that I would need to practice the act of releasing I would need to practice the act of relief, releasing. I would have to open my hands. And what I realized is when I open my hands, that's when I could receive blessings from God. Here's, not what, here's what I'm not saying. Because I, oh, I hate it when preachers do this. Just give your money to God and he'll make you richer. That's, that's a lie. 
He will transform your heart. And I wish I could say that we started tithing and that first month, boom, everything got better. Actually, it got tougher. We didn't have enough money to make it through the end of the month. And, and sure enough, through prayer, God said, you need to sell some more stuff. You got some luxury items there. You're not at the end of your rope yet. Remember, God does his best work when we're at the end of our ropes, when we truly surrender. And he would still show up and we'd actually make it through the month. Second month, same thing. Third month, all of a sudden, my phone started ringing off the hook. And it was uh, uh, some chaplains that I served with in South Korea. And they said, hey, we're running, we, we need you to, to, to run some, some conferences, some men's conferences for us. And, and we need you to preach at some military chapels. And sure enough, that happened. And I started contracting for the military doing that. And with that, it started paying some bills. God was showing up in a huge way. And then, because I was getting to travel around and preach, it was helping me with my preaching skills. And there was a network thing going on. And I get a weird phone call from a church I never heard of saying, hey, we'd like to fly out and have you preach, uh, run a men's conference and preach this weekend. Okay, let's do it. God kept on showing up over and over and over. But at first, I had to release. Once I released, he started working on my heart. Linda and I, we can't even think of not tithing now. The tithe was a great starting point. So I want to get very practical and land this plane. And I want to look at this idea of giving. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says these words. The generous will themselves be blessed. Let me read that again slowly. The generous will themselves be blessed. Here at Cornwall Church, we believe a great starting point for giving is the tithe. Tithe in Hebrew means 10%. 10%. And you may be like me and say, okay, uh, Kip, time out. Hold on just a second. We're under grace. We're not under the law. That is true. Uh, Kip, wait a second. There's, uh, the word tithe is not even mentioned after the resurrection of Jesus. That's true. So let's talk about that. Uh, tithing is a principle. Giving, really, there's three principles in scripture when it comes to giving. Give generously, give regularly, and give cheerfully. That's what we see throughout all of scripture. So let's go back to Genesis chapter four. Adam and Eve ha have a bunch of kids. Two of them are, are uh, Cain and Abel. And they, first thing they, in the story in Genesis four, they both give an offering to God. And we would see throughout the Old Testament, continuous offerings, giving first fruits back to God. This is before the law, probably a few thousand years before the law. Now, fast forward to, to Genesis chapter 14. Uh, Abram, he would become Abraham, had to go rescue his nephew Lot. He rescues his nephew Lot. There's a big battle that goes on. After the battle, he gets all this war booty. Uh, there, he's moving forward with all his war booty. And sure enough, this guy named Melchizedek, who represents a, a high priest of the Most High God, uh, Abraham, Abram tithes 10% and gives it to Melchizedek hundreds upon hundreds of years before the law. Okay, now fast forward to Genesis 28. Jacob gets a huge blessing. What does he do? He tithes. He gives a tenth. Okay, then you get the Mosaic law, and that's where it really gets crazy. God wants the heart to match the giving, but it wouldn't. And he wanted them to give regularly, generously, and cheerfully. In fact, it's more than a tithe out of the Old Testament and the Mosaic law. It's about 23% if you, if you total it up. Okay, now fast forward into the New Testament. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is throwing down with the Pharisees. And he says, when you tithe, you've got to make sure that your heart is in the right place. If your heart can't be in the right place, why are you even tithing? So there's a heart of the issue that, that Jesus addresses. And then he never speaks about tithing after that. 
He goes to the cross, dies, is buried, and resurrected. So let's look at the New Testament church because tithe is not mentioned for the rest of the time in the Bible. The New Testament church, Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, they poured out and gave first to the church, and then you would see in the New Testament church they'd give to others. So that was the pattern, first to the church, then to others. And no one was in need. Fast forward to Acts chapter 4, the end of Acts chapter 4 and the beginning of Acts chapter 5, we see that they were selling houses and property, so that's a little bit more than 10%. They were giving everything so that they could take care of others, and we would find that the Christian community would be the first community to set up orphanages and hospitals. So there was an inside thing and an outside thing. But the whole issue was, as Paul would say, God loves a cheerful giver. They were generous, they were uh, regular, and they were cheerful. Actually, the word cheerful in Greek is hilarious. God loves hilarious givers. So two things I learned in my experience. One was Jesus is here to be your life, not to get things for your life. Jesus is here to be your life. People say, oh, Cornwall, you just want my money. No, that's not it. We want you to align your life under Jesus. And if you're like me, when it's got a hold of your heart, finances, you'll do all things. You'll, you'll say, oh, no, I'm volunteering. I'm doing all these things. But Jesus, you can't have that. And there's freedom when you do this, which leads to the second point. It's an open-handed issue. It's an open-handed issue. When you open your hands and say, I'm going to help out, then God shows up and works on your heart. But as Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, if you can't do it with a cheerful heart, don't do it. Don't do it. They need to match up. Give generously, regularly, and cheerfully. So what happens to you when you tithe or give offerings to Cornwall Church? Let me just walk you through that briefly. Uh, this is where your money goes. Our vision here at Cornwall Church is to glorify God by altering the spiritual landscape one life at a time through Jesus. We do it in three primary ways. Come and see community and go and be. Come and see is what we do here. It's the big gatherings. Uh, we have a great building. We've got an amazing staff. Uh, you get coffee that'll put hair on your toes and then some. You get amazing worship. You get a solid biblical teaching. You can drop your kids off in Explorers League, which I would argue is the best kids program on the planet. Uh, for those of you with, with kids in middle school and high school, for those of you who are young adults age 18 to 28, we got the young adult ministry. That's our next-gen ministry. For those of you attending it online, we have dedicated a pastor to be our online pastor, Pastor Brian Mingle, and he does such a great job. So you're part of this too, those of you attending online. So that's the come and see piece. When you tithe and give to Cornwall Church, there's a community life piece. Grief share, divorce care, small groups, discipleship initiatives, sisterhood, among other things. And then last but definitely not least is our go and be ministry, where we go and be the hands and feet outside the walls, where we go and love and be a light. Let me just share a handful of ministries throughout the area and around the world that you support. Skookum Kids here in Whatcom County. Skookum Kids is amazing. When kids, uh, kids are going through a really rough time, when mom or dad uh, get arrested, or the kids have to go into those first 72 hours of, of foster care, that's Skookum Kids. We support them. And Getty Ministry. And Getty is, is, is working hard to help women come out of sex trafficking along the I-5 corridor and get their lives back. Rebound of Whatcom County. Love in the name of Christ in Bellingham and Skagit. Help families in poverty or distress. They're not part of Cornwall Church, but they're ministries we support. 
Young Lives helps teenage moms. Lighthouse Mission and in Skagit, uh, Freedom House, where we work with, with uh, those two organizations to put a dent in the homeless crisis going on. Public schools in Bellingham and Skagit. Refugee efforts through Romania and into Ukraine. We actually uh, support uh, in some way, shape, or form a seminary in Ukraine that is just launching churches all over the place and helping others in the tyranny of the moment in that war after it's been going on for more than a year now. Bread of life in, in, in Haiti. Child sponsorship. We take on all those administrative costs so when you sponsor a kid in Haiti, all of, that, all of those funds are going to help that. You see, giving generously, giving regularly, and giving cheerfully matters. It matters not only here, but it alleviates suffering all over the place. So let me be very practical now. Uh, four ways to give here at Cornwall Church. You hear it every week. We say it from the stage every week. The four ways to give, first of all, is old school. Old school with the envelope, cash, credit, check, or credit. Put it in the, the drop boxes, mail it to us. Second way is uh, through cornwallchurch.com. Cornwallchurch.com, just go to our website, click on give, uh, go to the drop down, and you can set up your giving through PushPay. We give through the app, or for those of you attending online, there is a, a thing that pops up, a little give button, and you can do that. But I can still see that some people are skeptical. So what we're doing is we're going to resurrect something, even though it's not Easter. Yes, we're going to resurrect this. And it's the tithe test challenge, the tithe test guarantee. And what it is, I've never heard of a church doing this. We've been doing this for 15 years, and it blows my mind that we still do it. But it's, it's set up for those of you who have never tithed, and you say, okay, I want to take a step and try this out, but I don't know if I can do it. So here's how it works. You've got this tithe test guarantee card. We want you to fill it out. Online, there's a, a, a form that just popped up in, in your chat. You fill this out, and you have to fill it out completely. And between now and May 26th, in the next 90 days, we would like you to regularly tithe. Generously, regularly, and cheerfully. During that time, every time you tithe, we have to know that it was you tithing. So you have to attach your name to that gift. And then any time between now and May 26th, or May 26th in that time frame, you say, you know what, I just, I don't believe in this. I disagree with it. Just send us a note and say, hey, I'm, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And we're just going to give you your money back. It's that simple. If you go through maybe a really difficult financial time, and for those of you, you got to sign up to do this. If you go through a financial time, you say, I just can't do it. Okay, no problem. No questions asked. We will give you your money back. And here's what's interesting about it. In the 15 years we've done this, it has taken so many people to take that next step because this is a spiritual discipline. And with that too, we found over the past 15 plus years, I think we've only had, it's been less than 10 people say, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. You don't do it because you're trying to get rich or be blessed. You do it because God calls on us to, to be generous and what happens is he transforms our hearts. And that's what happened to me. And that's why I'm passionate about this, because I want that to happen to you, that you could have your heart transformed. 